Did you know that there's one word near the top of every toddler's vocabulary? There's one word that comes up a lot. If you have little ones, you know what it is. It's one of the very first questions that any of us ever learned as a child is the question, why? Why do we have to do this? Why are things this way? Why, why, why? And as we begin a new series of sermons this week, it's important that you and I understand the biblical foundation of every single message that we preach from this pulpit, every single account in Scripture that you will read in your Bibles, there is a fundamental question that actually goes behind it. It's a principle, it's not a question. It's a principle. It's found in 1 Peter 3.15. Now, we've got to know this before you're going to appreciate anything else we do. The Bible says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Now, that's number one. That's the first thing that has to happen. If you've not established Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, then you're going to find it difficult, if not impossible, to answer or respond to anybody who's not a believer, to be able to talk to them and explain to them. And they they may come to you with questions like, well, why? Why are we celebrating this day? Why are you a Christian? But if you've not set apart in your heart that Christ is Lord then you don't have much of an opportunity. You don't have the substance of what you need to answer that question. But then Peter goes on to say this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that we have. Now you see the connection. Once Christ is set apart in our hearts, then we're in a position to answer that question. And we can prepare for that. This verse is saying... When people ask you and me why we're followers of Jesus, why Easter's a big deal, why we make such a, a big, a big celebration over this one day in the spring, then you and I have to be prepared to offer something to them. It's called an uh, apologia. That is a Greek term, and what it basically means is offering a defense. It's offering an explanation for something, and we get our word apology from that. And for those who study the, uh, the discipline of apologetics, they do so so that they can have compelling and reasonable answers to the questions that people ask us about theology and about the Bible and about Jesus. An apologist is someone who knows how to defend our faith in a positive way. And Peter goes on to add just a couple more words here, three more words. We do this with an attitude of gentleness and respect. First Peter 3.15. I want you all to mark that down in your Bible. You ought to underline this. Because this is the heart, heartbeat of what we, especially on Easter, the church has a moment of time each year where we celebrate the most significant event in all of history. Not just churchianity, but all of history. And we believers need to know what to say when people ask us, why do you believe in the resurrection? And there's some other questions that are going to come up this month, but this is the one we're going to begin with. It's Easter. What, this coming back to life from death. And, and all along the way, Jesus told people that this was what was going to happen. He wasn't silent about it. It was no big surprise. He warned them. He told them. He explained to them as best he could. And he also indicated that it would be the ultimate proof that he was who he said he was. 
the Son of God. So I want to take you to the Bible today. There's a lot of scripture here, and, and, um, and you, you travel with me as fast as you can. How's that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they came up to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, and he said, Well, a wicked and adulterous generation always asks for miraculous signs. But none are going to be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And now he explains that now. Now, they were familiar with Jonah. They were Old Testament people. Verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now, apparently, there were some other religious fellows that must have missed this because just a few chapters later, Jesus basically repeats himself. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, you say, well, it's going to be fair weather because the sky is red. And and then in the morning, it is going to be stormy because the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for miraculous signs. But none will be given it except, here it is again, the sign of Jonah. And then we have these crystal clear words recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verse 31. Now Jesus is with his disciples. He took the twelve aside and he told them, We're going to go up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of God will be fulfilled. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit upon him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Over and over, Jesus made it clear that the one sign that you could test him by the one proof offered for the the um, resiliency and for the power and for the whole heartbeat of christianity would be the crucifixion and resurrection of jesus even the bible says it's everything built into what we understand in our theology 1 Corinthians 15, 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. Verse 15. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead he adds now now here's my question for us do you really really believe that has it become so much a normal understandable inspirational part of who you are as a christian do you have that sense of confidence that this world is not all that there is their life though it's short brief whatever it may be on this earth that's not the ending We're paused here between the time that Jesus came, died, and between the time Jesus coming back. And so our 
thoughts behind this series is that we believers need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Not, not, a, not just an answer with words all the time, though that's important. We need to let people understand that Christianity has a verbal part to it. We have a Bible, and a Bible is full of God's words. But most importantly, it's how you and I live our lives. How we handle everything from pandemics to all the other life's craziness and disappointments. How many of you are here today because you have a, a burning heart for the gospel? Remember when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and he had some guys there and he, they didn't know who he was. This was after everything had happened. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're discouraged because of all the events of everything. Jesus was dead and all this. They had no idea. But the Bible says that as they walked along, Jesus talked with them and explained things to them. And the scripture says that how their hearts burned within them as they traveled along the road with this stranger they didn't recognize. There was an old preacher from another generation that wrote a book called The, the Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. And that would be a great name for the church, you know, because our hearts need even, not just Easter, but every day. We need to have that sense of, of fire within us. That there's something to be told, something to be shared. We're not just down here to fulfill all of our selfish little whatever needs. We're here to t- bear testimony, to be witnesses. Not just in the closed walls of the church building, but in your jobs and in your neighborhoods and in your schools and in your acquaintances and your family. We are called to give an account. So what I want to do is I want to to jump into this thing and I want to give you some tools. I want to give you some ammunition, if you please, so that we can explain this to somebody and talk about it in a way that... One, we believe wholeheartedly, but also it makes sense, as we're going to see here, in, not just in Scripture, but just in the way things are. Is it really the truth? Did Jesus rise from the dead? I mean, millions of Christians are celebrating this morning all around the world, and they believe that it is. And Christianity, built off the faith of the resurrection of Jesus, is the world's largest faith. But did it really happen? So I want to take a look at the evidence, okay? This is not just conjecture. Let's look at the evidence. Because something happened. We know that for sure. Nobody denies that. Some things that was so off the charts that it turned a group of frightened, timid men and women who were hiding behind locked doors into on-fire evangelists. Something had to make that happen. Let's consider the facts. Here's what just about every open-minded historian agrees on. Number one, Jesus existed in time and history. Our Lord Jesus is one of the most documented human beings in all of humanity. You find him listed in all kinds of historic writings. I mean, these were historians from a way back when. A guy named Thallus, first century Greek writer, mentions Jesus. The Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius, both of these guys, widely regarded in the secular world, they acknowledge that Jesus walked this earth. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, same thing. And the most detailed account, of course, we have is found in the Bible, which is not just one, but four independent biographical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These guys wrote not just stories about Jesus, they wrote about his life. In, in all four of them, individuals who saw and witnessed and, and dealt with Jesus on in, an in independent level. 
And we also know that he had a very, very public ministry. We know he existed. Those are the facts. Okay, fact number, that's fact number one. Here's fact number two. He was sentenced to death through Roman crucifixion. Now, I'm not going to explain all that. Most of us have seen or heard of something about that horrible form of death. Number two, we also know his body was buried in a tomb, placed under guard. Fact number four, we know that stone was rolled away and that the body was gone. We also know that in the days that followed, his disciples were running around all over the country saying, number five, that he had risen from the dead and that they had, in fact, seen him. That they talked with him, that they had touched him. Not one of the disciples, but all of them. And there are even records of witnesses numbering in the hundreds. And we also know, number six, that at this point the Christian movement exploded onto the scene. By AD 100, there were five, oh, around 5,000 followers of Christ. By AD 310, there were 20 million. And today, all over the world, in every country, Christians are attempting to bear witness to their Heavenly Father's gracious gift in Christ. It's the world's largest faith. Now, those are the basics. So, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Is it just a matter of blind faith, or is it one of rational thought? Well, there's, there's some options here. I'm going to give them to you. Here's option number one. If you're talking to somebody about this, this is where you should begin. Uh, option number one could be, what happened? Did somebody steal? Maybe the disciples stole the body. Did the followers of Jesus then spread the idea after they had concealed the body someplace that he rose from the dead and that, they, that way they wouldn't have looked so stupid to follow him all those years? Now that's an option. Interestingly, this was the explanation that the enemies of Jesus actually came up with. Even the Bible has this recorded in the book of Matthew. And it says, beginning with, in chapter 28, verse 11, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, this is after Easter, in a sense. Everything's done. The, the tomb was empty. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And these were the guys that were supposed to be in charge of guarding the tomb. And he said, telling them, you are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they instructed. And this story was widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, there is a problem, though, with this. It was a problem back then, and it's still a problem now. This tomb was protected by a full guard of Roman soldiers. Now, that's how nervous these authorities were, especially the religious authorities. Who Jesus was such a threat to their whole way of life and thinking. They were mired into the Old Testament, but they had no idea of all that is told about Jesus. And so they came up with this idea, except for one little difficulty. A Roman guard was highly trained. These were individuals, usually about, about a contingent of about 16 of them altogether would have been normal. And the Roman penalty for falling asleep on the job was death 
if you were part of these Roman soldiers. Staying awake on duty was a, a major, major value that they held to very tightly. But even more important, rolling away a, a one and a half to two ton rock that's over the tomb's interest probably would make some noise. And here they're guarding this tomb. Surely during the night, somebody would have woke up. I mean, I mean, one of the 16 surely would have heard something. But that's not even the biggest reason why this would be hard to believe. I mean, even if they pulled it off, here's the problem. All the disciples, now hear me, this is, this is so crucial as far as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. All the disciples who supposedly stole this body and hid it someplace ended up dying for their story. They died for claiming to be eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus. James, the apostle, was beheaded. Matthew was slain with a combination battle axe and spear. That would be quite painful. Uh, Philip was whipped, thrown into prison, then crucified. Mark died while being dragged through the streets of Alexandria, Egypt. Peter was crucified in Rome. James was thrown from the top of the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And then while he was still alive, they beat him to death of the club. Bartholomew was beaten and was crucified. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors right up to his death. Thomas was run through his body with a spear. Jude was shot with arrows and then crucified. And Matthias, this is the guy that replaced Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. John was the only exception. The Apostle John. They tried to kill him, but were unsuccessful. He ended up being exiled to the island of Patmos, where before his death, God inspired him to write books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. Now, now each of these disciples was faced with a decisive moment. Deny what they said about Jesus and his resurrection. Or, and they could live then. If all, that's all they had to do. They were brought before the court. That's why they all suffered all this horrible death. Because they would not deny. That's all they had to do was just say, no, it didn't happen. But they wouldn't do it. Every single disciple faced torture and martyrdom for the sake of the truth of what they knew to be true. Jesus Christ was alive. Now think about that moment. People often die for what we believe is true, I suppose, even though we may not be 100% sure on occasion. People don't have a tendency to die, though, for what they know is a lie. And don't forget that just a day or two earlier, these guys were so timid, so weak in their faith, that they denied even knowing who Jesus was at all. These were not dynamic examples of Christian, you know, stay in power much. Yet their claim of witnessing the resurrection, each of these men went to their death saying, Jesus has risen and we're witnesses. Kill me if you want to. That's, that's fine. But it actually happened. He's alive. So the disciples didn't steal the body. So that's kind of a, I don't think that's a very good option. Here's option number two. Did the Jewish authorities steal the body? As that was sometimes uh, posited by others in history looking backwards. But the dilemma with this view is that one of the crime detectives talk about all the time. You know, we have the crime shows on the, on the television 24 hours a day. Well, this, this is what they would say. What's the motive here? What would be the motive for the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities to steal the body? Because they were the ones who put guards at the tomb to make sure the body wasn't stolen. Their biggest fear was somebody stealing the body. 
In fact, it's even in the, in the Bible, in Matthew. Let me read from this. This is the biography of Jesus. Uh, and Matthew tells us the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember that while he was still alive, they're talking about Jesus. While he was still alive, this deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he'd been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be so much worse than the first. So Pilate said, take a guard, make the tomb secure as you know how. And they went, made the tomb secure, put a seal on the stone and posted the guard. Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Now, so you see the motive problem. The last thing that they would do is steal the body to make it look like he rose from the dead. That was not going to happen. They got, they actually, I bet they wish they had a body, but they didn't. So option three, did Jesus, did, did, you know, did, did they just go to the wrong tomb? Now, I don't think this is a very bright one myself, but it was posited at one time in history. The idea is the disciples were so nervous and worried and full of fear, they just made a mistake and went to the wrong tomb. They found the tomb was empty, and they thought Jesus was alive. And the problem with this view is that all the Romans had to do is point out the right tomb where the guards were posted, and then the party would have ended right there. And you still have to deal with all the people that saw Jesus after his death, or claimed to, And Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, which is preserved in the Bible, notice what he said about Jesus. He said he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom, at the time Paul wrote this, they're still living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. See, Paul kind of came in as an apostle on the tail end of things, and he appeared unto him as well. You see, in today's court system, how many eyewitnesses does it take? One, maybe two, to determine what happened at a particular point in time and place. But here were hundreds of first-hand eyewitnesses to Jesus being alive after his resurrection, after his crucifixion. And again, they were willing to die for what they saw. So let's add this up. If the disciples didn't steal the body... And the Jewish and Roman authorities uh, didn't steal it, and they didn't go to the wrong tomb. Then there's only one option left. Option four is he really did come out of that grave. Now there still might be those who would say, "When well, a timeout, you know, I don't care what the evidence points to. Dead people don't rise." <laughs> and, and you know, you're right about that. I don't know of any others that ever have in that sense. But again, that's kind of the point, isn't it? What rocked their world was that dead people don't rise. The guys on the picture on the screen here, this is N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a, a Cambridge and Oxford graduate, a brilliant thinker, a brilliant apologist. He has gone around the country for years and teaching about uh, uh, the reasons to believe that Jesus resurrected. But he wrote a book. An 800-page book. Now, I have not read this book. David has not read this book. Nick has not read this book. I don't know of anybody that has other than maybe academic people. But in this book, he writes this. 
No one would have ever thought up the resurrection because nobody believed such a thing possible. He studied all of the philosophies and viewpoints of the ancient world and no one ever presented such an idea. Nobody believed it was possible. So here's this conclusion. He said the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus in order to explain a faith they already had. They developed their faith because of what they saw, because of what they experienced, because of what they didn't think was going to happen or even could happen, did happen. Now, where are we in all this on this Easter morning? You and I are going to bet our life on something. Did you know that? We are gamblers in a great, 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 serious measure. We are. And we're going to bet our life. We're going to bet our life on our philosophies, our worldviews. We're going to put our confidence in all kinds of people and places and government officials, blah, blah, blah. But you're either going to bet that this life is it and that there's something more when it's over. Or you're going to bet that you're all alone in the universe and if there's a God on the loose, then, you know, that's great, but you don't know him. You're going to bet your life that yours is yours to live as you want, to do as you choose, act as you please, or that there is a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, that there's a God who is a truth, not falsehood, and that there's a truth, that there is truth that exists outside of you and me. We don't make up our own truth as much as the world would like to do that. You're going to bet your life that you don't need to worry about forgiveness or sin, relationship with God or spiritual vibrancy, or that only a relationship with Jesus will get you through this crazy world. That relationship is everything. See, it's all going to be determined by one thing. Easter. And being able to answer the question when people ask you, by your life or by your word, why? Why do we believe it? Either Jesus was an ordinary human being and the resurrection a lie, or something really did happen that altered the entire course of history. That Jesus really, really was who he said he was. Now I think you know my perspective on that. But everybody needs to come to that place where they say, you know, I don't go to church just because I I just like the fellowship or I just like to have something to do on Sunday morning. You know, being a part of the body of Christ is relational. Jesus is absolutely, totally interested in what you think about him. He wants to know that. And we don't have the option of being neutral here. Either for him or you're not. You believe that he's alive and well, and what we sing about is not just singing someone to someone who's dead and gone that we're remembering, but that he's alive and living within his children. And that plays into your decision-making and the way you live your life, the value you place on the life that you have. And we're going to talk some more about this as we go on into the next uh, few messages of the series But it's this first one on asking the question, why? This is the most important because it's the foundation of everything else that we're going to be talking about.